genre. Welcome back to The Doctor's Companion presents Doctor Who, The Long Way Round, the weekly podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. Today on the show, we'll be discussing The Sensorites, the first doctor's eighth story, and I almost called it Senioritis. Senioritis. (laughs) Which is, now I want to write a spec about... The doctor and the master having like senioritis. Oh no! At Time Lord Academy, bless. I I like the idea that at Time Lord Academy they they still like dump all their papers on the ground out of their lockers at the end of the year. (laughs) A Time Lord, a Time Lord, just like rolls down the hallway on a skateboard and a fire hydrant. They have like a senior prank. (laughs) Um, We sent the dean back in time, (laughs) (laughs) and he shows up. And he's been around for he's he's regenerated like four times oh and has finally made it back. <laughs> so, ah, you kids, you kids, <laughs> respect, respect. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the censor rights. Um, this is uh, this is this is an episode. So I guess the 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 most there's a couple of like vaguely interesting things about the censor rights. It's not the most interesting behind the scenes story. Um. But it does. It does feature like in the in the movie in the adventures in space and time adaptation of the sensorites, the making of the sensorites. There is like a fun comedy montage. I feel like um, that's involved in this. But uh, uh, the the sensorites um, written by Peter R. Newman. Uh, this is his first script that he um, wrote for the show. Uh, and he was uh, most notable for writing for Hammer Films. Oh, prior to this, yeah, that's cool. So um, he was a, a Hammer horror screenwriter. Um, also, uh, the directing credits are um, cut between two people, which is also weird. Uh, I actually couldn't find a reason why Mervyn Pinfield quit after the first four episodes, uh, but it might have something to do with that comedic montage that I'm going to get into. Um, but Frank Cox uh, directed episodes five and six after Pinfield left. I guess I guess three bits of 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 uh, I guess things of note. One, Sidney Newman and BBC were ha- were basically at war with uh, budgets and all of these things. So the BBC really liked how popular the show was, but they didn't like the idea of it costing any money. Um, and so uh, they didn't care how many people were watching it. They wanted to keep it cheap because the cheaper it was, the more money they would make from the people watching it. Um, so they were like not into giving them a higher budget. And as a result of this, they did not have a dedicated studio space. And this was getting exhausting for people at the time because, you know, in most shows, 
you know, especially with Doctor Who, you have a dedicated studio space. You have one part of the studio that's dedicated to the TARDIS set, and then you have another that that is up all the time, right? As long as you're in that studio set, they have that that set built because you're probably going to use it in most episodes. Mm-hmm. And then you have a studio set uh, that is interchangeable, where you're you're changing it out between episodes, featuring whatever you need, whether it's like a forest, an alien forest, or you know, some kind of like base that may or may not be under siege. And you keep those stuff up. You build them once or, you know, as needed, but you do keep them up, especially if you're going to reuse them. And the thing about the sensorites, as we'll get into, this is a very cheap looking episode. There are like four sets in the whole thing. Um, It's very boring to look at from that perspective. Visually, it's very (laughs) boring to look at. And uh, you would think like, oh, wow, this was probably the easiest thing to put together. But in reality, the reason why the sets are so cheap and basic looking is because every single episode of the sensorites was shot on a different stage. Because the way that they shot the show was once a week, one day, once a week, uh, they would come in, build the sensorite sets on a stage, shoot an episode, tear it all down. Then the next week they would go to another set, another stage, a different one and build it again. And sometimes like measurements of everything had to change. And so like between episodes, rooms would get smaller or larger (laughs) depending on the size of the stage. Um, And it was just like every single episode was shot in a different stage. And this was the episode where Sidney Newman was finally like, okay, we can't do this anymore. You got to give us a dedicated stage. I don't care where it is. And then they tried to offer them uh, one stage in particular, uh, the, the, the cursed stage, the stage from an adventure in space and time with the leaks and the terrible stuff. And he was like, okay, but not that one, any stage, but that one. Um, And finally they were given Riverside studio one, in Hammersmith, London, uh, which would be their new home base of operations going forward. So this was the last episode that was shot on like totally different stages every episode. Um, in fact, I think this was the only episode that was shot, the only story that was shot in that particular fashion. But changing uh, uh, studio spaces multiple times during a recording was um, uh, pretty, you know, that's kind of just how it was. Uh, for them because they weren't really respected because they were a dumb little sci-fi show that a lot of people liked. But, you know, the, the people who liked it were children and children are dumb and they're not worth that much money. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and so it wasn't until um, the chaos of trying to get this episode finished uh, that, where they finally found a um, steady home in uh, Riverside. That's studio. so interesting that... Because to because like early on in this episode in part one, mm-hmm. there's like <clears throat> this really weird, interesting moment where they like do a quick recap of all of their adventures so far. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's the other thing. Okay. So that's actually related to something else. So the other part of this equation is that um this was originally the season one finale, which you can very much tell it was because of the recap. Um, that that Nick is talking yes, about. Yes, and the Aztecs. Yeah, <laughs> right. Where they just go through like every episode that they that all, every adventure, and they talk about their memories of each adventure. It's really it's like it's like a little mini clip show. My is my, kind of what it my should, first instinct like was like, be. oh no, is this the episode where 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 Barbara and Ian leave? Oh mm. no, we're not there yet. 
Um, and and yeah, well, uh, so 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 this was supposed to be the finale of season one, um, but then, uh, they were shooting part of season two kind of ahead of schedule because they wanted to break i think for the holidays but breaking for the holidays because of the way the schedule laid out would have caused a delay in uh episodes coming out so um or 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 maybe it was it was basically they they ran through to like you know the first few episodes of season two or few first few stories of season two before taking their break. I think because they wanted to break for the holidays rather than have the break earlier and not get to break for the holidays. I believe is how it worked out. Um, and so they were going to this was going to be the um, the finale of season one. They were going to take eight weeks off of uh, the broadcast schedule and then uh, come back with Reign of Terror as the first episode of season two um and basically bbc was like we don't have anything else to put on so we're just going to keep running the show like it never stopped so all of that awkward season ending stuff that's in this is because (laughs) they thought they were shooting the season finale when in fact it ended up just being another episode um and reign of terror more or less operated as their season finale though the break between episodes in the hiatus was uh, shrunk down from eight episodes eight weeks to four weeks so there's four weeks between reign of terror and um uh uh, the giants one land of the giants planet of giants what was it called Uh, planet of the giants came after this one no planet of the giants comes between the reign of terror comes in between right reign of terror doesn't exist that's why it's not on brit box right yep um so yeah so uh planet of the giants um, ended up being the uh, the the de facto season two premiere as a result. Um, Doing a really good job containing myself over finding out that there's an episode called Planet of the Giants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait till you see it. It's a really fun one. It might be the most fun episode of First Doctor that we've seen so far, I would say. Like, just fun. It's also short. Yeah, it's, it which is, is short. very nice. Yeah, that's sure. nice. It's only three episodes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um. And then, of course, like, and then Dalek Invasion of Earth takes the cake um, after oh, cool, r- immediately following that. But, you know, yeah. I kinda, yeah. Oh, you. I kind of like no the one idea. with you the, the bugs, though. Like, it's very silly. The bugs? But, um, what's it called? We haven't watched it yet. Um, I'm oh, to- I'm talking about that we've seen so far. Oh, not, that's fair. Not in total. That's fair. Yeah. Season one is kind of. It's not as fun i'm trying to think of which one has been the seasons. most fun so now i'm kind of doing what they were doing and like remembering all of our, all of our adventures together uh aztecs was fun yeah marco polo was fun mm-hmm. marinus was kind of dry i like that one i can't believe you're remembering all of these i'm really impressed <laughs> well because well, well, they mentioned it yeah, yeah i guess that's true <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah you got the recap all you needed was just a little reminder and then it all came flooding back <laughs> that's good um like the doctor yeah and then the other the only other bit of uh behind the scenes details actually has nothing to do with this story it has to do with the creation of the ood um the ood being uh i guess in continuity uh the ood are the romulans to the sensorites like vulcans Vulcans. yeah Yeah. oh my god really yes i i that's 
I remember thinking that watching it. Yeah, so they have like they have like the sensor sphere, and then the Ood have the Ood sphere, and they're in the same solar system. They're like right next to each other. So if I watch Planet of the Ood, do they mention the sensorites? I don't think so, but that's just what Russell T Davies says his intention was always that, and I think they've canonized it in other material. That's cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they're like uh, Romulans and Vulcans. I like the sensorites. Sensorites and the Ood. Dead gullible. Dead gullible. Yeah, that's true. Even Susan's like, guys. <laughs> oh, the sensorites can't lie. <laughs> oh, the sensorites. The sensorites, part one, written by Peter R. Newman, directed by Mervyn Pinfield, produced by Verity Lambert, script edited by David Whitaker, air date June twentieth, nineteen sixty four. The gang find themselves on board a spaceship with a crew of dead people. The bodies are warm, even though their self-winding watches say that they've been dead for at least 24 hours. Just as they're about to leave, the ship's crew, Maitland and Carol, suddenly wake up. The crew is from 28th century Earth and are orbiting a planet called Sensphere. Its inhabitants, the Sensorites, refuse to let the crew leave orbit. The Sensorites are able to control the brains of the human crew and put them all to sleep but they're never harmed and even kept fed by these mysterious aliens. While looking for water, Susan and Barbara stumble upon John, a crew member being kept locked in a closet. He shuffles towards them in a zombie-like state before collapsing into Barbara's arms. When the crew realizes that Susan and Barbara are locked in with John, they use a 28th century style cutting device to get them out. Carol tells Ian that before transitioning into a zombie-like state, John was her husband. A sensorite ship suddenly approaches from outside, Ian glances out the window of their own ship and sees some thing staring back at him. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember watching this the first time. Um, oh, so this is, yeah. I, I have no memory of watching this at all. Um, wow. Which is weird because uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen all of them because I was like, oh, is this one of the ones that was missing and they like found it? Um, but no. I don't remember watching this one, and I could not tell you what happens in it, because it's so boring. <laughs> it's it's pretty boring. It's dry. Yeah. I, I'll say that it's dry, and to me, unfortunately, it was a serial of diminishing returns. Yeah. Uh, because I, I actually think it started out very interesting. Well, let's let's start there. Let's talk about part one specifically. Uh, well, I actually really liked the little uh, recap. I thought it was just I don't know. It seemed very like <laughs> it was charming. The, it it was, is charming. It is charming. And like at the best of times, this era of the show really reminds me of like a C.S. Lewis book, mm-hmm. or just like a children's book. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah. So yeah, but, I I like that. I I like that they uh that Barbara is the one who's like uh maybe we landed in something and the doctor's like whoa, 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 what? Which <laughs> is it's like that's never a, happened a woman, before. Yeah. A, a woman telling me how my ship landed. A woman smarter than me. I thought it was funny oh. how close Ian was standing next to everybody. Though that's probably yeah. cuz of like the blocking in the set, but like I was just like <laughs> right? Ian is such a creeper. <laughs> Yeah, we had a, a fun mystery at the very beginning with the two seemingly dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I had a lot of fun, maybe because I've just been watching so much of the show lately, is the doctor immediately has no curiosity. Yeah. Like, well, let's get out of here. It doesn't concern us. Yeah. 
Just two corpses in a ship. That's kind of one of my favorite things about uh, David Bradley's first Doctor in in Twice Upon a Twice Upon a Time when he, like he kind of has that vibe too of just like yeah this is none of our business and Capaldi's like off we go come on <laughs> God <laughs> yeah they they like beg him to stay yeah and it's not until the body like wheezes to life mm-hmm. uh, and what was that guy's name it was Carol and John. He- no, John was the crazy guy. John's a crazy guy. No, uh, this guy was, uh, I forget his name. It was, because uh, he wasn't in the show very long. <laughs> I just looked up the thing, so I have it in front of me. Captain Maitland. Yeah, Maitland. Yeah, Maitland was cool. Did anyone notice the doctor kept calling Ian Chesterton? Ch- Ch- yeah, well, I mean, Chester- Ch- Chesterton is his last name. Yeah. But he kept saying Chester- Ch- Chesterton or Ch- Ch- Chesserin, but or, I feel like even the last he was saying part it weird. Was weird. I feel like he normally calls him Ian <laughs> or Cheddarin. Maybe it's been too long since I've seen the show. No, he calls him Chesterton. Yeah, that's okay. his. That's his vibe. It's just that um, I think uh, I, I don't know. There were a lot of bloopers. There were in, a lot in, of lines in, in this one. Yeah, yeah, I loved. I loved it every time because I just was reminded of the circumstances in which this was made. <laughs> right. Um, I caught one. I caught one for Susan and one from the Doctor. I caught like multiple from the doctor and I think I caught that same one from Susan and I think I caught one of the sensorites flub something too. So, so yeah, we find out that this man and this woman were, it's okay. So there was, there's this scenario where there's, they're not allowed to leave this patch of space and these beings called the sensorites keep like shutting them down and just sending them back. Mm -hmm. Is that what was happening? I, yeah, I believe so. They're like trapping them in this area. Mm-hmm. Because they they don't want them to leave because they don't want people to know about and they're like it's that, super- them them the gold in them hills or whatever. <laughs> yeah yeah so they're like we don't know what they want it's weird that they're not killing us being earthlings us mm-hmm. and then yeah the doctor finds out that like there's this like really precious like unobtainium like substance yeah this this entire episode takes place on the bridge of the ship that they're in yeah um and it is a tiny set. And the whole thing is shot so awkwardly, which is weird, uh, Well, which was especially off-putting considering how great the opening shot of the set was, which is them walking on, opening the doors to the TARDIS and walking off the TARDIS onto the bridge of the ship in all in one shot, which I was very impressed by for, you know, 1964. Uh, I really thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. That was a cool shot. Yeah. And then the rest of the, the rest of the episode was like, well, we're on this bridge and we're not going anywhere else. <laughs> so get used to it. I liked, I liked the set. Um, I just thought it was a little too small, but no, yeah, that sure. might've been circumstantial. <laughs> I like the water shelf. The shelf <laughs> yeah. with the word water written on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we, oh, we find out they're from the 28th century. Which is always fun. At some point, I'm sure somebody has already done this, right? Like made like a, a, timeline. a timeline of Earth history in Doctor oh Who. They mentioned that <laughs> they mentioned that London has is now called like Central City, right? And that it hasn't been called London in like four four hundred years. They don't know what Big Ben is, but Earth still exists. Earth still exists. So this is before the Beast Below. Is this the first time that any mention of the future, like like people, is this the first time that, that we meet people from the future on the show? Oh. I think so. I think it might be, yeah. Like actual future Earthlings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I like how um, blasé they are about 
the fact that they're time travelers. They're just like, wait, where are you great. from? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're from the past. I like the idea of of them being chill about it, though. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. just being like, oh yeah, that's totally normal now. We <laughs> we've 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 met some dude called the Doctor billions of times. <laughs> oh, the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. How many pages would they save in the modern show? <laughs> they just start referencing the RTD era. Like, oh yeah, you know, historically when the Daleks took over London, and everyone and the, saw, yeah, yeah, and everyone Jadoon, saw and remembered the Jadoon stole that hospital. Yeah, right. Uh, we stopped celebrating Christmas around like 20, 20, 2017, 2018. <laughs> right then, enough's enough. <laughs> I think the writing's on the wall. I love Christmas as much uh, as the next black. That's Wolf speaking at Parliament. In my I head. like. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that that's the reason why there's no Christmas specials in the Jodie Whittaker era is because there's no Christmas. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) Do do we go into the hallways in this one or do we just stay in the bridge? I think we get like a hallway shot toward the end, but I don't remember what happens in the hallway. So this one, the bit that I really like the cliffhanger. uh, Yeah. Where it. But, but Ian looks out a window and sees a, a sensorite out the window. But there is yeah. for sure in the way that it shot gravity outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's gravity that like envelopes the ship or something. Mm-hmm. God, what a, wouldn't that have been amazing is if like the, the reveal was that it was a simulation like that, that, that the TARDIS landed on a ship within a ship. Oh, like oh, a holodeck. Weird. Yeah, and they were like they were like in a simulation, and so there's no gravity because that 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 uh, sensorite isn't even in space. He just like walks between the screen and the ship. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been cool. Um, yeah. So this uh, this shot, like obviously, um, I would say, absolutely an ode to uh, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, the Twilight Zone episode. Um, very famous, you know, there's something on the wing, something on the wing. Uh, you know, that episode was Shatner, directed by Richard Donner, as I found out today, and was blown wow. away by. Um, yeah, William Shatner sees a, a gremlin yeah. hanging off the wing of a plane. Right. It's a very, very famous, probably the most famous Twilight Zone episode, I would say. Um, I don't know if I've seen that one. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty famous one. It's, it's, the, it's one of the ones that they remade in the movie. Um, the remake starring John Lithgow, directed by George Miller of Max, uh, Mad Max fame. And Babe Pig in the City. And Babe Pig in the City, of course. <laughs> um, and Happy Feet and Happy Feet too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that episode aired October 1963, so actually aired before Doctor Who premiered. So we're like, uh, like, uh, like nine or ten months since that that aired maybe even a year at wow. this point um so i think it makes sense that it would be like a reference to that because it's it's shot exactly the same way even if it's not a direct reference i think i think i think the director was probably like hey let's do that thing like on twilight so <laughs> uh it's just such a specific shot of like the sensor right um who now i just keep wanting to call ood in my head every time i go to say sensor right i want to say ood Mm-hmm. But they're not the. The Sensorites, Part 2. Written by Peter R. Newman. Directed by Mervyn Pinfield. Produced by Verity Lambert. Script edited by David Whitaker. Air date June 27th, 1964. 
The sensorites outside the ship sensorize Carol and Maitland again, leaving them paralyzed. The doctor revives Maitland, who then gets back to work unlocking Susan and Barbara from the other room. From that locked room, Barbara and Susan comfort John, whose constant psychic communication with the sensorites have left them rattled and zombie-like. The sensorites try to convince John to scare away Susan and Barbara, but he resists. John tells Susan that he senses two sensorites have boarded the ship. Barbara and Susan confront the aliens in the ship's only hallway and manage to overpower them by bellowing at the same time, We defy you. After nearly two episodes, Maitland gets the door open and everyone is able to reunite. While tucking John into bed, Ian overhears the rattled future man rambling in his dreams, leading Ian to think John may know something about Sensphere and how it could help the future of future humanity. The doctor studies John's hands and finds traces of a precious metal called molybendium. Just then, the sensorites attack again, but Ian manages to threaten and bully them into a corner while brandishing a strange tool we never learn the true purpose of. The crew lock the sensorites in the same closet they used to keep John locked up in and discuss their next move on the deck of the ship. Meanwhile, the sensorites work on escaping. They telepathically communicate with Susan and asks her to tell the others that an area on Sensphere has been prepared for all of the humans to live. While the doctor teaches everyone how cats' eyes dilate in the dark, the sensorites psychically tell Susan that if she comes down to Sensphere with them, they'll let everyone else live. Susan agrees and lets the two sensorites take her away. This one is interesting. Yeah, we start to meet them. We meet, uh, they have, I think their design is interesting. Cause like, I love them. The mask itself is a little muddy. Mm-hmm. Um, you pointed out, uh, Nick, that, um, uh, that they are, they all look like they're sculpted by different people, like in a good way. Like they had like a basic idea of what sensorites would look like. And then like, there was like six people that all made sensorite masks and they all made them differently slightly. They all had just such minute differences, especially as we kept meeting them that I kept thinking about how in the show now everything's so polished and, and great looking that like every Ood looks exactly like every other Ood. Yeah. But these were so ramshackle that I could tell which one was which by like just the, oh, that one kind of has a nose, but this one full on doesn't have a nose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I thought I, th- I like that too. It yeah. made them feel more real despite looking, I mean, pretty goofy. Yeah. You and know? I, I also love their wispy little chihuahua beards. Yeah. Their chihuahua beards were fun because they were like upside down hair pieces is yeah. what it seemed like. Um, Cause everything grows from like, under their chin and then grows up yeah they were going into their mouths that weren't there (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know how they were speaking because you're right they had no mouths um but they were definitely speaking i also kept thinking about how if you took away the masks they were just like average sized average built men wearing like pajama onesies Mm -hmm. yeah i like the little onesies with like the like duck feet or whatever it was oh yeah the feet were amazing yeah they're like circles (laughs) they're not even like They weren't even like duck feet. They were like just circles. Um, it was pretty, pretty great. I wish the Ood had those still. Yeah. Yeah. They were definitely, they're like Ood like, but instead of tentacle mouths, they have like Chihuahua beard mouths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how when you watch the first Star Trek episode, Spock has those weird bushy eyebrows. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah. Not it, weird. It's a yeah. little it's a little like that. I mean, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the way the way that they remade um the Klingons, you know, where it's like you have the Klingons in the OG series and they're just like dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they were like they extrapolated a couple of things and then made the Klingons the way they are in uh in, in the movies and then next gen and etc with the ridges and all that stuff mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of that uh just like i could imagine like somebody sort of taking uh the sensorites and then trying to remake them for the modern show and turning the the chihuahua hair beard into tentacles. like tentacles um you could see that being like a choice that someone makes um so yeah they are very close in design i would say Especially like the skin bits, but they do speak instead of like through thought the way that the Ood do. Oh, and they also have stethoscopes. They do have stethoscopes. They have lots of they have lots of stethoscopes that all do different things. They've got mm-hmm. gun stethoscopes. They've got speaking stethoscopes. Yeah, There's stethoscope based culture. Yeah. I, I, I like good. that we learned that um, Susan's apparently telepathic in this one. Mm-hmm. That was great. That's weird. Is that the first time that a Time Lord uses tele- their telepathy? The shinning? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe it's related to that. I don't know. Susan would have the shining. It makes sense. Yeah. I'll retcon it to that if nothing else. Well, Susan's not a Time Lord, right? She's a Gallifreyan. Oh, I guess. I am now under But the doctor has it too, so Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. true. So. I'm now under the headcanon that she's a foundling with, with the information that we now have going oh. into the Timeless Children. Okay. Oh. Maybe we'll get that uh approved at some point. Get that canonized. Like the doctor found her and he was like, Well, for some reason I relate to this strange creature. <laughs> this strange creature. <laughs> Hello, granddad. Um yeah, God so they're like talking to John, and John's losing his goddamn mind. John is the the John, crazy guy. Yeah, so they're like apparently they keep doing this brain wipe thing over and over again. <laughs> but the way that Carol, uh, the the female air astronaut, made it sound is that for some reason they just are like extra mean to John. Yeah, they just can't they can't stand this guy. <laughs> He's like he's like Jerry on Parks and Rec for the Sensorites. <laughs> they just keep like double wiping him on purpose. Yeah, that's because they hate this guy. And, Sucks. And like so now, yeah, and like now, uh, now Mait- 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 Maitland, Maitland and Carol have to like keep him and have keep John like in a closet on a on a cot. Yeah, but he found Barbara and Susan, and Barbara gave him a cuddle last episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now, and now he's being told to like kill them or something. I can only assume. I don't think we ever find out what he was told to do. No, I can't. But he's like, no, I can't do it. Not like, mom. I think he. I think they're telling him to kill you guys. You guys should probably leave. Get out of here. And then the cliffhanger to this one is the 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 sensorites psychically communicating with Susan and Susan deciding to like leave with them. Right. Yeah. A um, couple of other things that happen in this one. Um, there's a moment where the the sensorites go to go through a door, and then one one of the sensorites stops the other one and shakes his head because for some reason in an alien culture, shaking your head also means no, um, right. which is just like it's it's a it's a it's like a little thing that like I don't think most people would pay any mind to, but like that's such a that's a human gesture. Like, why would that mean no to another culture? I don't know. 
Especially because uh-huh. they're all like, they have like a weird hive mind thing going on. So they're all kind of telepathic. So yeah. why don't they just talk? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. To, I don't, it's it's very silly. Yeah. It's oh, very is silly. this the one where Ian like, like holds that, like he finds this weird tool. And that he, like wrench yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like threatening them the whole time. <laughs> they like, yeah. follow him through the door. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote I wrote that uh, Ian has big Mark Darcy energy in this episode. Mark Darcy being the character Colin Firth played in Bridget Jones's Diary, um, with his tucked in sweater, which Cass will never understand because she doesn't watch rom coms, despite the fact that she would enjoy it. I've watched like five rom coms, maybe. How many of the Cass. five have you enjoyed? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, Bridget Jones's Diary is good. Bridget Jones's baby is good. Edge of reason, not so much. Um, That's where she murders somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the and the two male leads drown each other in a fountain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's none of that. Is, that's all an exaggeration. But okay, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he's got he's got like Colin Firth, like Mister Darcy energy in this for sure. I, I of felt- just like I'm classy, but I'm tough. I promise you, I am <laughs> tough. I felt really bad for the censorites. <laughs> they were so threatened by Ian. Yeah, they were cowering. I know. Uh, and Ian's got a turtleneck. <laughs> like, what kind of jerk like threatens to bludgeon a, a, an ood? I don't know. A lot of people in the episode were gonna watch this. In this round, right? Aren't they in the devil episode? Yeah, they are. Yeah, and they get like abused like constantly in that episode. Oh no. Yeah. Whoa, that's weird. Yeah, must be the season of the Ood. (laughs) Season of the Ood. (laughs) I proclaim this to be the season of the Ood. (laughs) Uh, That's their first appearance, too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. So we get the Ood and the Sensorites first appearances. They're both in the eighth uh, eighth story of those doctors. That's, that's why I was just that's that, why I was just saying it was weird. Why no, does I know. Keep but like but like the fact that they're also like uh, because of the nature of our show, like I'm also realizing that they are the same they they appear in the same story number cluster, which feels yeah crazy like yeah that's why i was like that's weird it's like how yeah. our 360th episode was revolution of the daleks yeah <laughs> we're just unraveling the fabric of doctor who yeah <laughs> we've done this long enough now that's gonna be our new <laughs> subtitle to this unraveling <laughs> the fabric of doctor who. one doctor at a time <laughs> um so okay let's see here so we've got upside down beards check um Oh, we should talk about uh, opposite cat eyes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. The doctor teaches how cats, how dilating eyes work. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, if I remember correctly, oh, sh- shoot. Okay. So when you turn on a light. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you turn off a light, a cat's eyes dilate. Right. In a way that humans don't, so they can right. see in the dark. Yeah, like hardcore dilate. Mm-hmm. To the point where, like, they look like Baby Yoda. Like, like sick, nasty dilate. Yeah. They're like, their eyes are so dilated, they yeah. look like Baby right. Yoda. Yeah. But the doctor doesn't theorize he states with the uh sensorites if you were to turn off a light well no he notices it because the lights are on yes and their eyes are super dilated like right. that. it looks like they have no eyes right the, the 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 masks so he's like i bet if we turn the lights off they wouldn't be able to see and they'd be scared because then they wouldn't know where the uh where the violence is coming from <laughs> right <laughs> So their plan is to turn off the lights in front of the and just point, beat the crap out of them. And just beat them senseless with whatever <laughs> random tool Ian found. 
and it works. They like instantly cower when the lights are turned off. Yeah. And but then, works. but then Susan agrees to leave with them. Well, no, that happens in the next one that they do that, that they pull the darkness move. That's oh, that's the next three. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how they get Susan back. I think. Okay. I, the, are we, can we talk about episode three? Let's do it. The Sensorites part three written by Peter R. Newman directed by Mervyn Pinfield produced by Verity Lambert. Script edited by David Whittaker. Air date, July 11th, 1964. The Doctor and the others chase after the Sensorites and Susan. The humans refuse to let the aliens take what some of them think is a human child, but the Sensorites need a hostage, and Susan wants to go, so she can save her friends and begin establishing a sense of personal confidence. This escalates into the Sensorites attacking, and Ian shutting off the lights, blinding the aliens, and allowing everyone else to slip away. On the deck of the ship, the Doctor and Susan have their first argument. While the Sensorites broker a deal with Ian, Barbara and Maitland will sit out for the rest of the story while everyone else goes down to Sensphere to meet the First Elder. On Sensphere, the First Elder thinks the Doctor can cure a disease that has been plaguing the Sensorites. His council are skeptical of the human race, saying that they are lesser beings and loud and ugly and should have been in the mountains. <laughs> Most vocal against the human race is the first administrator. Once the first elder is gone, he tells another sensorite that he has aimed a disintegrator at the room where the humans are to meet the first elder. The doctor, Ian, and Susan meet with the first elder, who flexes on these strange guests by bringing out the fancy water, but not before Ian finishes his cup of normal water. While the first elder and the doctor discuss the rigid, sash-based hierarchy of Sensphere, Ian collapses to the ground, dying. Really, really liked Susan and Susan, like, kind of like having, like, no, like, let me do my own thing and like bucking up with the doctor mm-hmm. and having an argument. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. But they do outsmart them with darkness by turning the lights out <laughs> only slightly, like, not <laughs> like just they put they put on some mood lighting, basically. <laughs> and that was enough for, for the sensorites to be like, I can't see anything. Oh, no. They're like gremlins. <laughs> In more ways than one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they don't like darkness. I guess they're like opposite gremlins. They don't like darkness and they don't like uh, noise. gremlins. Too. Yeah, they don't like noise. Um, instead of getting wet, I guess they don't like noise. Well, gremlins love music. Yeah. Right? God, what wouldn't it be amazing if, like, when, like, the, every time the doctor yelled at a sensorite, another sensorite, like, popped out their back? Like, ah! <laughs> like, the, <laughs> like the gremlins? When you get them wet. Oh, yeah. That's another thing. The doctor, <laughs> the doctor keeps like throughout the, throughout the serial, he he raises his voice, listener, and it, it always like scares a sensorite. Yeah. And like I spent most of the serial feeling bad for the sensorites. It's yeah. pretty easy to feel bad about for them. They're like pretty pathetic species overall. They uh, are across the board gullible. Yeah. They're like, they're, they're like bald little old men in onesies. Yeah. And it's really funny. <laughs> They're bald little old men in onesies who don't lie. They have a sash based <laughs> cast system. Yeah. Uh a sashes and collars. So Did they go down to the planet in episode three? Uh I think that's four. Yeah, that's I, I think it's four. Uh no, no no so so they have they have the cross sash, which is like the eldest elder. Elder number one. Uh first elder. And then there's the single sash, which is the second elder. And then there's the collar, 
which is was that the administrator? Administrator, yeah, first administrator. Yeah, yeah he's got a collar, and then there's warriors who have like little bandages on their arm, um, like bands on their arm, kind of like the collar. And then the scientist guys that we find in the next episode, they've got like a design on their shirt. Uh, and I, then there's just basic schmucks. Yeah, basic basic schmucks, which is what they call <laughs> the, the people who don't have anything. Just everything else, yeah. <laughs> call them schmucks. Um, I was getting Planet of the Apes vibes starting in this episode. Yeah. Of just like the sensor rights, like communicating with each other and mm-hmm. like talking about like their world and their politics and the way things work uh, on the sensor sphere. Well, now that you mention it, Scott, sensor uh, sphere. Uh, for the first administrator really uh, gave me like Dr. Zayas vibes. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. Like did not trust the humans. Right. Yeah. Pretty, I like that. Or pretty much like didn't trust non-sensorites. Right. Very racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. So like, I think that was part of why I was getting those Planet of the Apes vibes. Um. And then, uh, and then, and then, and then the the basic death water, as uh, as Nick called it, while we were watching the episode. <laughs> oh yeah, listener, I just want to talk. I just want I want I want to walk you through this. So, um, they sit down with the first the oh, the first elders like super friendly, super down to have guests. Yeah, I can't like all the sensorites are cool except for the first administrator. Yeah, what what was it that like got them on his side? Oh, over some, oh, the first uh, elder? Yeah, the first elder. Because, like, they were they were all sort of suspicious of them. And then, like, they did something that the first elder was like, ah, these guys are cool. He hasn't agreed to help fix their water yet, right? That happens later. No, that's, yeah, that's later. Yeah, because this one ends with Ian, like, kind of <laughs> yeah. choking. So they, like, <laughs> so they're all given water. They're having a meal. They're having, they're a, having a meal. Down. Yeah. And, and the first elder's like, hey, that's the basic water. They're supposed to get the nice sparkling water. Only yeah. the schmucks drink this water. Yeah. Go get go get the nice water. And Ian's like, you know what? I think I'm going to drink the bad water that the guy didn't want me to drink. Because I'm really thirsty. Because I'm really thirsty. And then he yeah. drinks it and immediately starts coughing. And then he keels over. And the first administrator is like, he's dying. And then the episode ends. Right. <laughs> I was under the impression while I was watching this that, that the first administrator just like straight up poisoned them. That's exactly what I thought. Um, oh really? Yeah, but then we go through a whole rigmarole in the next few episodes about yeah the water. Would that situation. it's worth so simple? Yeah, it's uh, aqueduct water, which um, they are very proud of as a species. They're aqueducts, um, like Los Angeles. But uh, <laughs> despite being very proud of it, the first elder would never drink that basic aqueduct water bullshit. The schmuck water. Um, yeah, the schmuck water. He he drinks crystal water, is what it's called. <laughs> crystal water he drinks uh only the finest of spring waters yes mm-hmm. yes screw oh. this mun- municipal tap water oh garbage that, trash that, <laughs> that's something i really want to bring back if they ever go back to the oud planet is they're all just like super hipstery with early mineral water <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty great um all right well that's uh that's it for this particular episode um we'll be back next week to talk about episodes four through six 
couple of things I want to bring up in the meantime. Uh, duelinggenre.com slash support is our uh, Patreon page. Um, don't don't pause. Don't don't go forward. Just listen to what I have to say. It's uh, different now. Please. It's different now. Oh, God, please. Yeah, it's different now. Um, so we have a goal <laughs> on the Patreon for uh, we're trying to get to 100 patrons, um, which would be at either the $3 or $5 level uh, a month. And if we reach 100 patrons, we are going to do a bonus show of some kind. And it might be on TDC. It might be on one of the other shows. The patrons will vote on what that would be. But one of the bonus things that we want to do for TDC is to talk about Doctor Who spinoffs. Um, and that would be either, you know, your, your, the ones that immediately spring to mind, I'm sure, like um, Torchwood, uh, Sarah Jane Adventures, uh, but also... Canine Adventures. Uh, K nine <laughs> adventures, I guess. Um, it barely counts, Nick. Barely. Uh, not even allowed to talk about Doctor Who. Um, uh, and then there's uh, I don't even think it's canon with Doctor Who. Those the K nine stuff. Uh, but yes, K nine. We'll do it. Whatever. Great. Um, but but also uh, Big Finish <laughs> stuff. Um, oh, Big yeah. Finish does a lot of spinoffs, like the River Song Adventures, or um. You know, the, the master one, right? Yeah, there's a master one. There's a war master. There's a war doctor. All of, of the stuff that we normally wouldn't cover on the show, we will cover if we reach that bonus threshold and, uh, and, and 100 that, patrons. And we, and we, we hear from the patrons that that's what they want. But the thing about those spinoffs, they're not going to be Patreon exclusive shows. They're going to be shows for this main feed. Um, and as long as we are at that 100 patron tier on our Patreon, uh, we will continue to do the spinoffs, covering the spinoffs, um, in whatever fashion, uh, we end up doing it. I don't know if we're just going to, cause we're about to like lose the ninth doctor and, uh, I think the sixth doctor and seventh doctor fall shortly after that. Um, and so we'll have space in our schedules for those spinoffs. Did they ever do a second series of class? No. Okay. No, no, thankfully. Thank and God. we already covered it. So we were not going to cover that. Woo. Um, yeah, we're not going to cover it again. <laughs> Once was enough. Um, so, enough. uh, so yeah, so that's, that's the goal currently. I think currently we have, um, like 75 ish patrons, uh, so go check out our Patreon page, check out what we're doing over there. Um, we do have some Patreon exclusive podcasts that you would get for becoming a Patreon things like, uh, our monthly movie commentaries and, uh, dueling genre verses, which is a rewatch show currently covering Buffy, the vampire slayer season one, um, a, a discussion show led by Cass over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also dueling genre tonight, which is hosted by me and a, uh, revolving panel of, of dueling genre hosts, where we talk about the week's entertainment news and those come out every week. Uh, those, those shows. Um, so, and that's, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's like 300 bonus episodes already on our Patreon that you would gain access to instantly, um, for signing up. So talking about class out. Yeah, like us talking about class. Exactly. Um, so that is duallygenre.com slash support. Go check that out. It's our Patreon page. We appreciate everyone who helps us uh, keep the lights on Absolutely. and uh, keep things moving forward. And the best thing about the Patreon goals now is that they're all uh, for everybody. So 
when we reach the goal on Patreon, everyone benefits, not just the patrons. Um, and so I think that's really exciting. And, you know, it's kind of we're all in this together. And, uh, you know, if you guys want more content from us, that's how you're going to get it. So once again, that's duelinggenre.com slash support. And we'll be back next time with the Sensorites episodes four through six. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.